Welcome to the Parish Art Museum podcast, where we aspire to provide opportunities for learning, sharing, and celebrating the many innovative and pioneering artists who call the East End home. Come back each week to find new and impactful experiences in the arts. Louisa Chase was my classmate in art school. She and I went to Syracuse University. We met in our freshman year. Uh, we shared a studio the last two years of our um, careers there as undergrads. And then she went on to graduate school at Yale University, and I went off to do all kinds of crazy things uh, before I came back to the museum world some years later. Uh, at that time, I was busy, as it were most of my colleagues, making color field pictures. Uh, I made so many fake Helen Frankenthalers that uh, I began to think that I might be Helen Frankenthaler. And many of the other people that were in our studio building were you know, making minimalist, minimalist works or color field works, very abstract. And then there was Louisa who marched the tune of her own drummer from the very, very beginning and was very emphatic about the value of certain approaches to representation, uh, which I think was the governing factor of her work pretty much all along. It was this real dedication to and feeling that there was a way to do a crossover between abstraction and representation, and that all of those things could be fed into a really authentic painting practice that had real meaning. So uh, that's my opening statement about Louisa. And uh, Mel, why don't you start a little bit with uh, your relationship with uh, Louisa and what you know of her? Well, I uh, didn't meet Louisa till the 80s when she was already sort of hot, hot commodity, uh, showing a Robert Miller gallery. And uh, it was fascinating to her approach to art. I have to, I came here and I thought, well, I don't wind up talking about myself. I don't really mean to talk about myself, but my entree into art was through a sort of strict minimal thing. I went to Hunter with Robert Morris and Tony Smith, and then I worked for Dorothea Rockburn, and I, you know, like Saul Witt, and I was very kind of thinking about art as a, almost a science experiment. Not really, but you know, so it, an exploration like that. And then I met Louisa, and she just came from such a completely different uh, point of view. Uh, one of the simple things, and she and Elizabeth Murray had this in common, was you know that making art could be fun. It wasn't this thing that I had to suffer over all the time. And you know, and she's saying, you know, Yo, you should make wood blocks. And I said, I've never, I've never made a wood block. She says, Oh, let's make wood blocks. And I said, oh, okay, maybe we can do that. But uh, but it was really very freeing, her approach, but she was also extremely focused and dedicated, and you gave us some catalogs, I think one from 84 for Robert Miller Gallery, which is really her journal of sorts, talking about the work, and it's, you know, reading it, I just very much her, and it's just the way the paintings have a life of their own, and whether they're coming together right or not, she's sort of on not quite on the sidelines, but she's fighting with them. And she has this, has this overall notion of where she wants to go. But it, it just was a completely different thing. It was, you could say it was more locked in, in emotion. And, uh, but simultaneously, she was totally involved with you know, process and how to make things. And I think that part of her early work was, uh, you know, we can go into that, was uh, very much involved in this process that she had delivered developed, actually, uh, which was the 
and caustic. You know, the, uh, and I don't know, maybe I'm getting ahead. Maybe we should go to what you. But uh, okay, well, the, the, just to say what what, it was, what Louisa was like. So I was looking at that. I said, you know, how did you figure this out? <laughs> you know, because she was you know doing something, painting on, then scraping away and getting this great line, this great drawing. And she said, oh, I stole that from a student in Chicago. <laughs> and I said, what? And she said she wasn't doing anything with it. <laughs> So anyway, but she's very, very open about that and just the, you know, the working process and <clears throat> very funny. That's, that's, an, uh, that's important to note because uh, there's a lot of humor in her work. Mary, how did you first come to, to know Louisa? Well, she lived in my neighborhood in New York and so I saw her around mainly in all the bars and um, we got into some pretty good conversations there. But work was very important for her. She worked all the time. And I've been reading these diaries, too, that you gave us, the Robert Miller catalog, which was really smart to put that, because it shows like how, how different she was in her attitude of doing her artwork. What it reminds me of, her work reminds me of a child. And she's using the sensibility and the mentality in a child psychological kind of way, which is, it, it's really her, you know, her whole life was sort of with that attitude toward things. I uh, really liked her, I got along with her, we never had a fight as far as I remember, which is pretty rare. Uh, she was a really energetic, frisky, proactive person who was always coming up with these bright ideas and determined to do them. And in the work, we can tell that from the work, you really can feel her. Oh, one thing that's really brilliant is that an artist can live forever. She is so alive in that room up the hall there in the prints of the drawing type of art that's on the wall. I've been back here a few times to think about her and look at it and the experience is wonderful. And that's true, it's so real. It doesn't, and it does have the concepts of minimal art and process art, the serious theoretical ideas, but you wouldn't really get that right away when you look at it. So this is work that you really like to take time to be with. You know, it's funny that both of you talk about her cheerfulness and her you know, almost childlike way of, of engaging. Um, and she was like that, of course, in undergraduate school when we actually were children. But what always struck me was that there was a, a time and place for that kind of playfulness, uh, which came out in the studio. But there was also a real sense of struggle. And you mentioned process. And at the time when process for most of us in the painting department was was really about one-shot painting. You know, as I say, the Helen Frankenthaler, Morris Lewis, Colorfield kind of thing. And she was the one that was really working on a picture. And I remember, you know, talking to her in the studio and watching what she was doing and thinking, you know, there's something wrong with the way that I'm dealing with my studio practice because I don't actually know how to work on a painting. And when you read those uh, journal entries uh, in that Robert Miller catalog, what you, what you hear from her is that 
she would work in the studio all day on a, on a painting and end up at the end of the day by actually scraping most of it off and going back the next day and starting over. And all the layers of paint and pictures like this, you know, it, they're, they sort of remind me of those little scratch pads we used to make when we were in grammar school where you put down all the colors and then color it over with black and then scratch through it so that you'd have red, blue, green, and all those kinds of things, which is essentially what she's doing. There's so many layers there. But this is not one-shot painting. This is somebody working and in some instances really struggling. And partially what I think she was struggling against was the tyranny of the grid, uh, the tyranny of minimalism. Uh, the tyranny of the war that was going on in her own head about, is it okay for me to actually make pictures of things? Uh, you know, is it okay to play, paint, you know, the green seascape? Is it okay to have hands in my pictures? And, you know, what does that really mean? And bodies and things like that. And then should I obscure them with scribbling? And you see all of that playing out, that conversation playing out on the, on the pictures. Yeah, right in there. Um, yeah, and I... I, uh, I see what you have here. Uh, <laughs> but the... Uh, what, what is really nice about this show and this room is that the, when I met her, what I was talking about, they were all, each, each painting was more or less an image that she fought with for a while. And, and you know, she says, in, you know, whether it was St. Joan, fire, you know, trees, squall, undertow. I mean, she had these ideas that were very emotional and she, as she would destroy them, scrape them, or, or go into the studio and be completely surprised by what she'd done before. And it was, it was constant work through constant work. But she also had this ideas about what art should be, which I think you were, you know, you were alluding to, like beyond that. And she felt that she wanted to drop images and that's where we start with the, um, the color of the squares and the, the same method of drawing. And it, it was hard for her because I think she showed at a you know, hotshot gallery that uh, sold all the work and everybody wanted more. And she did what many artists you know, have to do, some artists never do, she wanted to change her work. And I don't think that the audience was there in the beginning, but she, very clearly, as we look at the work she was doing, it like the the yellow spooks one, and, and the, these are uh, you know, to my mind, major paintings. And there's no, unless I'm missing something, there's no image in it. Uh, oh, well, there is. Uh, <laughs> uh, okay. There's a head and a body yeah. and uh, and a hand, and but it, it takes a while for that yeah. to uh, emerge. Yeah, no, but it's and and the other thing that I love is she was not a very big person. This painting's tremendous, and and she had no no bones about pulling out the most giant canvas in the world and just you know going to work at. She didn't go, oh, should I do this? Is maybe I should do this smaller or something? And so, but I, I really think that that was continuing. If you look at the show, onto the latest pieces was this struggle she had with her idea of what art should be, and unfortunately. She, I don't think she was met halfway um, by, by the people viewing it. But, you know, people would say, oh, oh, she, you know, that was Louisa when she was good, which I hate. I've heard that said about many artists, and I kind of go, if you believe in an artist, you ought to take a look at what they're doing and really think about it. And I think that this shows that it all pays off, you know, really well when we start looking at, unfortunately, she's not here, but looking at the, the strength and the breadth of her career, uh, she really, you know, had did follow her ideals here and her, her intellectual concepts as well as her emotional 
concepts. Well, the I, the the notion that you um, that you just expressed about you know kind of having the bravery of changing your work, even though you're so successful in doing something that that people recognize. Mary, can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, you you've changed your work often in your career, and. How do you cope with the desire to change and the outside forces that perhaps try to keep you from doing that? Mm. Well, my, my art practice, like the way I live and work, has always been this kind of solitary... Um, I, I was determinedly alone when I worked. And even when I showed the work, I didn't really get off on being part of a, a, a certain scene. And, uh, and if I were in a, a milieu, in a, a gang of people, often it would be that I would be the one that disagreed with everybody or would say something provocative to make them disagree with me. And the same thing was, was with the work. Like, I came to New York and the whole scene was minimal and sculpture, which was about how it was done, what, what it was made out of, how it was done. And... So I was big into that, and I came over from California to New York, thought I was going to be really in the scene, and I couldn't get any attention for my work. And, of course, that's natural. It takes a while, but I didn't get that. And I was very, like Louisa, very kind of ornery and provocative. And so we all hated painting at that time. We're talking uh, in the early 70s. And so I would go to the bars at bar and say, oh, I'm a painter. And then I remember telling the guys, like Smithson was one of my main people that I wanted to like me, um, Robert Smithson, that David Hockney was my teacher. And, we, and he was really great. And, and we were doing sculpture, but we studied with David because um, none of the painters wanted to take his class because they were all kind of middle-of-the-road conservative, and he wasn't. And so um, people just scoffed when I... And then I'd say, I was a painter. And then the, everybody would hate me in that scene. <laughs> so I kind of like that. And then I was making, like, finger paintings, because I was teaching little kids, and I got inspired to do finger painting by them. And it was acrylic, and you could make it really thick and then dig through it. I was just saying that's very apropos. Yes, it right. looks a little bit like a finger painting. Right. And um, same with Spooks, the yellow one before. So it was almost like sculpture, only it was, you know, alleged to be painting. I'm, I'm curious because uh, I realized that Louisa came to New York from Yale, and she was lucky enough to immediately get work, which very few people did, teaching at SVA. But she also had a show at Artist Space, and I'd had one there a year or two before, and I don't remember it. And she said, oh, I, I, she did sculpture. Do you remember her sculpture at all? No, I don't. <laughs> no, I don't either. And, you know, when she did come to the city after Yale, it was actually at a time a little bit different than when you came just, you know, five or six years earlier, when painting was actually resurging. And people like Susan Rothenberg and Lois Lane and expressionistic people were actually becoming part of that conversation in a way that it hadn't been before. And I think that in a, in a certain sense, it was to her advantage to, to turn up 
in you know 1984 uh, after graduate school because what she had done and established in her own uh, in her own um, career as a painter was not as denigrated uh, as it had been when when you turned up. But you know it puts me in mind of of what happened to an artist like Larry Poons, for example, when you were mentioning wanting to change your work. You know everybody loved his big dot paintings that were kind of on the cusp between expression is expressionistic and minimal. And you know of course dots were a big thing. And Larry, um, you know people were talking about how they were exploded Ben Day dots from Roy Lichtenstein's, etc. And then he just didn't want to make them anymore. And then started doing something completely different. And the reaction was very negative. And I do think that, that Louisa had to cope with that also, as, as you mentioned. It's like, okay, I did this, and now I really feel like I want to move on. And where's the support for wanting to grow as an artist? Uh, she, she's actually sought out uh, Phil Gustin as her idol, her idol. And everybody, I think, painting in the late 70s, early 80s, he was the figure who actually had changed his work and made it made it work people you know shocked people and they accepted it so he went from totally abstract to this cartoony figurative which was also very physical and paint all over the place and but it, it was typical of louisa and this, I, I view this as how serious or how fearless she was is she goes and calls him up and goes visits him and <laughs> so you know that's if, if she saw something that interested her she went right after it so you know that and there are others, too, that I can't think of at the moment. But Philip Gustin's the obvious one for, you know, dealing with this ability to change your work. Do you have any idea what their conversation was like? Did she report back what had happened? Uh, no. I, I, I mean, it, it, they, they became friends. She was in touch with them all the time for a period of time. And she has a, a piece of her of his. So I know that they, they were close to a degree. But I, I don't know. But no, he, he, he said these, those great things that remind me when you say, you know, that whole thing about being in the studio by yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, and actually, I felt slightly chastised to even talk about the audience when I was talking about That's Louisa's right. yeah. work, because that wasn't it at all. I'm just saying from an outside point of view. That's, that's what that was. She was completely in her head doing, you know, what, what she thought was, you know, art should be. So she was not thinking about the audience ever. Mary, you're wearing a hand jewelry, uh, and I asked you when you came in if that was in Luis's honor because there was a period of time when hands were a major icon for her. Did you, did you ever talk to her about the actual images that she used over and over again in her painting? No, not really. I spent a lot of time with her, but it was mostly her talking. and. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> and me listening and watching, and and I'm sorry, everybody, I really can't remember that much about what went on between us, except that I do remember her incredible energy and how incredibly ornery and irritating should, she could be on purpose <laughs> just for the fun of it. And it, and it was kind of fun, because I was kind of like that, too. I'm not so much like that anymore. It's better not to be that way when you're like getting on, but my experience with Louisa was mainly um, paying attention to her and listening to her and watching her. Something else that strikes me about the women artists of, uh, as she was coming up, you, Elizabeth Murray, maybe even to a certain extent Jennifer Bartlett, who's you know somewhat older, but you know this this idea of using everyday images 
and making them almost like icons or archetypes uh, that repeat over and over in the work. And they did for a long time. For Louise, it was the hand. And then she had these, you know, these little kind of toy-like puppet things with the little pointy heads and the crowns and the things like that. I remember once being in the studio with her when, when I went down, and she was painting on the floor too. That's the one thing we all did. Nobody made easel paintings. I mean, we were, you know, we were supposed to do things that were huge, and so you had to put them on the floor. And she had uh, made, William Baziotis was somebody that, uh, that was, she was really interested in at the time, too. And she had created on the floor a, a kind of a uh, Baziotis-like atmosphere with some drawing in it. And then she had these little sculptures of little houses and little beings and uh, she was actually kind of playing with them like she was you know playing dungeons and dragons or something and i walked down to the studio and i said you know what are you doing she said i'm going to make a whole world of these <laughs> and and she essentially did you know as you look through the the images that are that are uh, on view in the galleries and you see that there are these little icons that she developed that she used for a long time until she started scribbling them out. Yeah. I think that's a, a interesting point about her work. And one thing that I loved, and particularly in that little, uh, her diary, was the little drawings around. So that she would do drawings, you didn't know what they're about, but in all these paintings, they're small drawings. They're, they're different parts where she's thinking about things. And I just like that. That's a, just an example of how much she lived in the canvas, so everything. Look, I mean, look at those. That they repeated over and over again, like the little diamond, the little flower, uh, and they came. I mean, that, that made me think because I actually think her sculpture was kind of like that. Mm -hmm. Little things around, but it was just a, you know, a way of totally you know, living in the canvas. That's how. That's how she. I don't. Canvas sounds pretentious, but live in the image. Mm -hmm. uh, she was totally, totally in it, that way. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the surfaces of her paintings, because both of you, even though you, you work from very, very different points of view, three-dimensionally, two-dimensionally, but surface uh, is really important to both of you in terms of your composition and your form. Mary, I think that one of the things that you share uh, with Luisa's work is, it, to me, is like the pure joy of messing with paint. You know, and color and uh, an application, which, you know, even if it's very abstract in its composition, there's still a lot going on in the surface of your paintings, uh, just like there is in Luisa's and, and all the different kinds of materials that she used, you know, the heavy oil paint, the encaustic, the layers that are scraped through, uh, you know, and that's, that's something that you clearly have a real appreciation for as well. Yeah, we did have that in common. And again, it is a little bit like doing sculpture, playing with it. And one thing about Louisa that's really great for me is so that the work reminds me of the way a person thinks when they're young, when they're little. So in, what, in looking at Louisa's work, her, the work of her whole life, you could see the, the spirit of every age of, of Louisa in the work starting with when she was just a little girl, and, and that was a big part of my thinking about work. It still is. Child psychology. <laughs> yeah. Well, I never was a painter, so I didn't, that's why I asked her how she did it. Um, but, the, I mean, the surfaces were beautiful, but she was ex an extremely physical painter, and, in fact, half the paint wound up on her clothes. <laughs> and that was very painful to watch, her, her paint-covered 
hands smoking a cigarette Ooh. in the studio. And mm -hmm. at this point, I'm going, oh, <laughs> don't do it. Yeah. Um, but that's that's really, you know, she was just too involved to, you know, consider something like that. But, you know, she was one of those people. That, it's kind of it's, it's funny to see Larry Poons because he really does it yeah. in that movie. Yeah, it's the it's the mess maker um, point of view. You know, and that's like a kid. That's like I mean, you sort of get off on putting it on your face and stuff. <laughs> I think that was part of it. You know. You know, no, that is actually a really interesting observation, especially in this early work that you see, you know, there is a, a, a kind of a childlike aspect to it. The two smaller pictures are almost like, uh, you know, the happy place and, and the maybe not so happy place, you know, the, the orange circle with the dead tree in the center, uh, you know, the little boat with the things flying over it. And then, and then one of my absolutely favorite pictures of this period, The Tempest, which, uh, you know, is very theatrical and dramatic and almost seems like it may be sort of coming from the monsters of the id. And, you know, what you mentioned about this childlike approach to her work may be just that there were very few barriers between what was going on in her head and what came out in the picture. It was very, perhaps, maybe not so much editing. In her artwork and in her life, <laughs> in her relationships, in the way she engaged with the world, there was no editing. And that oh, was so she great. made herself quite vulnerable in that regard as well. Yes, and she felt it, and and um, that was a big part of her her nature, mm -hmm. forceful and fear, uh, fearless, and also very frightening, and vulnerable at the same time. Do either of you have a, a favorite picture of the works that are in the the gallery at this moment? Well. <laughs> no, I, I, know, I know you like the green one, and I, I think that's, I was looking at it today, that's a, a beautiful painting because of how, you know, your eyes move across it to the real obvious waves on the right to just the, the surge on the left. But um, I, I like those, those uh, the untitled uh, red, yellow, blue ones that, she, yeah, uh, just went that, away. that she's working with. And I also saw some very nice, which I didn't even know about, lithographs in the hallway that follow that and that were you know, fairly recent. Um, you know, I know there's a, a big jump till the last painting was 2011, and, I, and that's what, uh, that's the one, no, no, or it's, it's terrible twos. Terrible yeah. twos. Yeah, and, and that, that was what she was really working on at, at the end of her life, and, and she set, to my mind, she set up this practically impossible structure of, uh, that she wanted these intense, flat, colors and then she was going to paint on top of them so she had all these canvases with all these I don't know if you remember seeing that but you know and because she was getting rid of all the stuff that she was using all that surface and that that's why I you know I kind of thought gee you know that's that's gonna be hard and it, it is hard but that's you know the type of you know things she set her up herself up to do uh, and it was pretty amazing I think well, it's, it's actually interesting to look at the works on paper, too, when you think about how aggressive she was in, in making a painting and getting it all over herself and not really editing and just going in there and, you know, and, and even scraping it off at night and making it all whole again in the morning. And then you look at the precision uh, of what it takes to do these, you know, etchings and lithographs and having to have an understanding of the technical aspect of that and very unforgiving printmaking as opposed to making a painting where, you know, if you work your painting like she did, you, you really can, you know, scrape it almost all the way down to the bare bones and start over. But if you make a mistake in, a, in an etching or a lithograph, 
you're done, and you ha and it doesn't go anywhere. There's no erasing or and but she mastered it, and she was a master uh, printmaker. Yeah, and that, that's what I was thinking when I looked at them. She managed to get the real drawing. What 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 she printed was exactly what she was thinking somehow. Uh, that there there was no kind of cleaning it up, and and I thought that, that was remarkable. I mean, I had to look at them and see are these drawings or are these prints because they felt so immediate. You know, which belies the uh, the difficulty of making them. I'm thinking of her personality working with the printmakers. It might have been uh, pretty um, interesting. <laughs> I love Terrible Twos also. Like it's that seems like it's the title. It's actually not, but yeah, it's beautiful. So you both gravitated to some of the 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 newest work as the things that that uh, that you thought that you know showed a certain kind of power, and I guess that makes a lot of sense it's for people that are still in the studio making work, that you always want to see, you know, what the process is and, you know, what's coming next uh, from an artist who's a, you know, who's a friend and a colleague. It's like, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do next? How are you going to, what problem are you going to give yourself and how are you going to solve it? Well, that's definitely, I mean, that's what I said in the beginning about what I like about this room. I mean, I know the little burning trees, and the, but these are still, I look back at them and, and I know that Personally, they're very kind of painful time for her, and everything was, you know, those raw nerves. So I can't look at that and really think I, I, I like it. Uh, but I do. When she gets back to the, the bigger images, uh, I think that's kind of remarkable. Yeah. So, so that's good. Yeah. The the room is wonderful. The room is almost like. In fact, I always think about that when you install work in a show, it's almost like doing art. It is like doing art. And so being in that room, which I've spent a lot of time in there, is almost is really a experience of the whole place and then all the memories of Louise's life. Yeah, well, it was interesting for us because we, um, you know, we worked with a guest curator from Syracuse and he had made a preliminary selection of the work and then, you know, then we you know, kind of came in along with him and made some additional uh, additions to and selections and then you get everything in the gallery and it's like a whole bunch of personalities at a cocktail party yeah. and uh you know we you you model it out on google sketchup and you think it's going to work great and that you know this picture is going to be next to this picture and they're all going to live happily and they're going to talk to each other and they'll have a great time and then you do what you think is going to work and you walk in there and it's like no yeah, you know, and then you have to start moving things around, and it's funny what you say about it being almost like making a, a work of art in itself. I mean, it isn't, but it is because essentially what you have to do is get outside yourself or oneself, and my in this case myself, get outside any preconceived notion that I might have of who was going to be next to whom in this room, uh, in order to make this work, and be quiet. And let the paintings say for themselves where they want it to be. And it does happen. And it was completely different than what I had originally thought was going to happen in that room. And so I'm hoping that it, you know, that it does have a resonance of being like actual personalities that are talking among themselves, comparing and contrasting themselves to each other, and, and making a whole conversation. The room is great. I love the room. No, 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 it works. I just because there are pieces in there that are so disparate and that yes, that I don't. <laughs> no. Yes. No, no. I mean, it, it, it's amazing how how well it works. Um, but 
Yeah, no, congratulations to Matt. <laughs> well, and congratulations to Louisa for, you know, making things that actually, you know, even over the course of her, you know, long span of her career, that actually can be in a room together and get along. Uh, so even though they come from very different places, from very different times in her life, and certainly very different approaches to, you know, composition and image making, they still, from the earliest piece all the way up to the newest one, have something t to say to each other, uh, which I think you know is a testament to her talent as a Great. as an artist. I know there are a lot of people in the audience who who knew Louisa, and you know maybe not in the same way that we're talking about. So uh, maybe this would be a good time to open it up if anybody has a, a question for uh, any of us. Uh, we'd be happy to address that. Yeah. yeah I, uh fortune of representing artists in the early days of Soho and Tribeca developments. And it's very interesting to hear you talk about each other. And I'm just wondering, there was a very strong sense of community, many artists living in close proximity in the early days of Soho and Tribeca, Elizabeth Murray, yourself, Alan Kearley, Louisa. Have we lost that? It seems that artists migrate to these areas where they find each other. And then they're so successful, they get pushed out by investment bankers and lawyers. How important was that community of artists, even if you had different perspectives and worked in different ways, just the enrichment of relating to each other all the time? Well, I have to hope somebody's doing that now. I mean, because it's extremely important. And I think that that's why we you know, came to New York, was for that community. And it was right there. And uh, even you know, in Tribeca and the, and the bars and but you can't, you know, there's a whole lot of nostalgia for this time. And it wasn't that easy. Uh, nobody could get any attention, you know, for their work. And nobody was, you know, making a lot of money. But they, ironically, we were in these spectacular spaces that everybody suddenly wanted. But no, I, I think that it, it's really uh, unfortunate. But, the, the, but so many things are involved with that. The size of the art world has gotten so much bigger that it's just, it's not, not one place uh, now, but I mean, those were good times, yes. <laughs> it's because of us. <laughs> and, and the whole scene, um, I mean, something like that, the kind of energy that came out of the, the, that period, our period, and then um, I guess with social media too, as everybody got to see everybody, everything. It's different, it's kind of hard for me to get used to the new art world. We have a nice scene out here, though, actually. Like, this sort of thing is intimate in comparison to a lot of other things. Although, actually, I was in the art fair the other day, and I was in the two different art fairs, a little elegant, beautiful, quiet one and the massive one, and I really love both of them. Like, I love channeling all the energy and even the negative part, just trying to figure out What's going to happen, you know? But art is magic and spiritual and powerful, and I think it's really helping the world. Well, I believe that. I think everybody that's in this room probably believes mm -hmm. that. Uh, otherwise, we, we wouldn't be here. I mean, we do, I think, all believe very strongly that art does have the power to be life-changing, mm -hmm. not only for the people who make it, but also for the people who, who witness it and experiencing it. And I think that that's part of the magic of Luis's work also, I would say, for both of you as well, that having had the privilege to visit both of you in your studios, uh, you, just, you get that sense of joy and creativity 
that reads not only in the making of the work, but also what happens when it leaves your studio and goes out into the world. You know, it's a completely different experience, but it's still very meaningful. Uh, the way uh, the trope, if that's the right word for it, for back in that era, it was pretty clear, understood that artists made art for themselves and for other artists. And that was the sort of the base level of everything. That's what's changed so much with the art fairs and everything. But it's like, who are you? Who are you com communicating with exactly? And I still, you know, if you want to know who a good artist is, ask an artist <laughs> because I mean, they're they're looking. It's kind of like, what can like Louisa? Do? What can I take from it? What am I learning from it? Uh, it's got to, you know. And if something leaves you completely cold you know, then there's no value to you. So we're all competitive and selfish and looking to see what we can get from someone else's art. And that's the excitement. Thank you. Anybody else have a good provocative question that can get some great answers from these guys? No? Uh, all right, I'll ask another one. Oh, ask another one. <laughs> so, um, in view of current politics and all, was, uh, was Louisa or yourself, Mary, uh, any sense of feminism or the differential respect for women artists as opposed to male at the time? It was a big part of the deal. One reason I came into it was because it was all guys. Like I grew up with all guys in my family and boys in my family. And, um, and so actually being part of the art scene was something like sports. And um, when feminism happened, I wasn't so into that. I wanted to be in the in a boys game. That went away. That was kind of, you know, silly and um and I think it's sort of evolution that's happening that pretty people figured out that we don't just have to stay home and take care of the babies in the house that it we, life is run a different way now than it was. Did Louisa evidence any of that in either her work or her conversations or relationships? Not in let me think. Can you think of anything? Not not spoken, but, but the thing is, I think that you know, I, I, if I could say so, we were all feminists. I mean, at that point, and right, it, that's a good way of looking. <laughs> but interestingly, I was thinking it was through Louisa that I met her upstairs neighbor Elizabeth Murray on White Street, and when Louisa moved out here, she bought Susan Rothenberg's place, and I know Susan Rothenberg basically through Louisa. So there are a lot of you know very strong women doing things and uh, and communicating with each other and I you know and I, I was impressed by all you know they're they're great artists uh, that's all I knew I, and and there was clearly there was a camaraderie and a, and a sharing and even though everybody was a feminist you know you do have to face the fact that women artists still today but certainly in the 80s and 90s you know their their mountain was steeper to climb oh definitely I mean I can't you know, yeah. hey, it's the day of the women, and what am I talking about? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, but, you know, the fact that, you know, that Elizabeth Murray was her upstairs neighbor and that she bought Susan Rothberg's place, and, you know, I do think that even if it's not explicitly... Uh, expressed. I think that knowing that you have colleagues that are, you know, working along in the same lines and are having the same struggles and are having the same same successes, same failures, uh, same feelings about what they're trying to accomplish does make, you know, the solitary nature of being in the studio much more bearable to know that there are others out there that are, um, you know, that are part of your story, that are, you know, that are moving the chess pieces forward in the same way. Louisa was born in Panama, 
right? And do you know when she came to the States? And do you think her having been born in Panama had any influence at all on her work? We should ask Ben, yes. her brother, who's here, because she, she spent no ben, time can in Panama. You, can you answer part of that question? Yeah. Everybody, Ben, please stand up. This is Ben Chase. He's uh, Luis's brother. He he would he would have more insight in the answer to that question. No, it was Panama Canal Zone. My father was in the military, so something that Luisa would not like probably out, but it's out. So, <laughs> so that's that's why um, it was Panama. So it was that's 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 the story. Um, she was probably three um, when she came to, I was born in Oklahoma, so also at an army base, so yeah, so that's, and then we ended up being raised pretty much in Pennsylvania, so yeah, yeah sure. Thank you, Ben. Yeah, no problem. There was a question over here? Yeah. Thank you. So, um, I like the, the anecdote about her uh, calling up uh, Gaston. Do you know if she, any other anecdotes like that? Wait, excuse me, that I didn't quite. She said she, she liked the anecdote that you told about her oh, just calling oh. up Philip Gustin, and she wanted to know, did you have any uh, other anecdotes like that? I, I don't know, she, seen, she seemed to. No, no, that needs to be correct. Correct, good, okay, George, please. <laughs> I, I, I came here knowing that there are people in the audience who know much more about um, Louisa went to the Yale Summer Art Program in Norfolk the summer of 73, and Gustin was teaching that summer, and they spent a lot of time together. It was when she got to Yale that she, called, she wrote a letter to Sandy Calder, and it was Calder with whom she became very close to also, both. How she got the, the Philip Guston print is a phenomenal story that has to do with Bob Miller. And she went in to see Bob because she wanted to get $10,000 out of him. She, she, he, she was owed 10000 And she left with the Philip Guston print. <laughs> and she said, oh my god, you know, Bob Miller can do anything to anyone. So that's the story of how she got the Guston. Thank you. So she went to... And one last anecdote. <laughs> on, on her 40, 40th birthday, we went, the, just several of us went to a little tiny place in Soho. It was a lovely place that had a fireplace. And at the end of the, the evening, we were singing happy birthday, just four of us. And we, we decided, I think we were still singing full blast. And all of a sudden, Eric Clapton is singing in her ear. And I remember I had all these racing thoughts, and I'm thinking, she knows Eric. Uh, he's shown up for the birthday party. What on earth is going on? Well, he had been sitting at the table next door and decided to join in. So Louisa was thrilled, but I'll leave you. <laughs> Thank you. That's really great. So she, so she actually went straight from graduation uh, at Syracuse University into the Yale summer pro. Yale summer program. I asked her to go there that summer specifically because they felt that she uh, would profit from that introduction. And, and she, I think she had a great summer. And there's a great photograph. You can see her sitting next to Gusta uh, at the end of that, that summer. And by the way, when she made sculpture, she made sculpture. Uh, 
uh, and primarily, I think, influenced by Calder. And all the sculptures were actually little cars. And they all had niches. And they were all extremely animated and extremely beautiful. And that she devoted most of her time to sculpture. It's when she got to New York and met Elizabeth Murray that she was overwhelmed with this idea of making paintings. And you have one of the first paintings that she ever and she went straight into a show at Artist Space the same year that she graduated because of Elizabeth. Um, so that Elizabeth had a huge, huge influence uh, on Louisa. Uh, so okay, that was a big, big part of what happened to Louisa. Thank you, George. That was that's great information. I <laughs> Thank you. Anybody else have anything that they want to add? Yeah. I just want to ask, oh, sorry. Um, I noticed that some of the um, slides have her birthday is 1946 and others 1951. I want to know which it is. 51. Oh, okay. Okay, so there's plenty of time to go into the galleries and commune with the work in real life, which is clearly what everyone should do. Uh, and I want to thank you all for being with us. And Mary and Mel, thank you so much for a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you.